Well, hey, and welcome to the Quad City Podcast, where we are on mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. We're so glad you're joining us in that today. Well, before we dive into today's sermon, would you do me a quick favor? Would you go ahead and open your app store and search Quad City Christian Church? Download our app because it's the best way to stay connected with what's happening here at Quad City. If you're new, joining us for the first time, click that new here form as we'd love to reach out and connect with you. You can also submit prayer requests and even give on that same app. It's the best way to stay connected here at Quad City. Well, hey, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our sermon from Sunday. We hope you enjoy. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are honored that you've chosen to start your week off by worshiping with us here at Quad City Christian Church. I want to welcome all of those who are joining us online from whenever and wherever you are. So great to have you with us, as well as all of our brothers and sisters out in Prescott Valley. So grateful to have you with us as well today. Um, If you have your Bibles, I want to go ahead and invite you to turn them on or turn them to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. If you're a newcomer with us, we're so glad that you're here. Would love for you to get connected with one of our pastors here in Prescott. Uh, We have a place out in the lobby off to the left we call Pastors Point. Out there in Prescott Valley, you can connect at Connection Central. Uh, Would love for you to, to come by and introduce yourself. We are a few months into a series that we're calling Romans the gospel for everyone. And so if you're just jumping in, we're about halfway through and we've made it all the way to chapter 7. This is a letter, what we call the book of Romans, it's actually a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of believers in the city of Rome. And and it was a church that was made up of some people who came from a Jewish background, a lot of people who came from Gentile background that worshipped all sorts of other gods. And Paul's never met these people. And as far as we know, none of the apostles or any of the early disciples that we know of by name, none of them had a hand in starting this church, which if you think about it, is just amazing to me. Like that is so uh, encouraging. And what is encouraging is that, that no one has to know your name to do amazing things for God. Like think about it. There's this amazing church in Rome We have no idea how it got started. Nameless people started this church, and we have one of the greatest letters that have ever been written because of what they did. I mean, like, it's so amazing. But there is one downside to not having one of the early apostles be a part of planting this church. The downside is that this church was not likely exposed to some of the deep theological teaching that many of the other early churches were. Now, Paul knew this, and he wanted to fix it. He wanted to go to Rome so that he could pour into these people. We learned that early on in the letter. He was trying to get there, but stuff kept getting in the way. His plans were interrupted. And so at some point, he said, until I can get there, at least let me write it down. 
And so he taps the shoulder of his buddy named Tertius. Yes, that's his name. Sudden we're junior hires in here. Tertius, T-E-R-T-I-U-S. We'll actually learn a little bit more about him in Romans 16. He's mentioned in Romans 16. But Tertius, Paul gets him and says, hey, grab your scroll, grab a pen, write this down. So Tertius is the one who is transcribing, who is writing all of this as Paul's dictating this message. He writes it down, which is amazing because... If Paul had been there, he would have just shared this in person like he did to all the other churches. The reason we don't have a letter like this to the Ephesians or Colossians or Galatians or Philippi, the reason we don't have any of them is because Paul just went and taught it to them. They didn't need to write it down. But because Paul couldn't make it to Rome, he wrote the whole thing down, and we are so glad that he did. Because now we have a copy of what Paul was teaching in all of the churches that he was a part of. So, imagine being in the church. They likely heard all of what is written in Romans in one sitting. Somebody stood up and read this thing out loud. Now, what they got in an hour, we're spending the better part of a year. <laughs> like, we're breaking this thing apart. We're, we're spending a better part of a year. They would have got it all at one time, which is really helpful in, in one sense, because they got to connect the dots. They get to see how all of this stuff stays together. Whereas for us, because it's weeks and months apart, we can, can kind of forget how all of this stays together. It's really important, though, to remember that what he said in chapter 1 matters for chapter 3. And what we learn in chapter 3 matters for chapter 5. And what we learn in 5 builds upon uh, in chapter 6. And what we learn in chapter 7, you have to understand 6. Like they all go together, which is why I just keep encouraging you. Like if you've missed any of this, go back and watch it. Go back and listen to it. Like we got to make sure that we're keeping all of this together because here's the deal. It's kind of like you ever put a puzzle together and you get to the end and there's a piece missing. Like that's the worst, isn't it? Like you want to throw the table and kick stuff and chuck the whole thing. It's pointless. Like what good is any of it if there's a piece missing, right? I don't want just to get to the end of Romans and you feel like, oh my goodness, there's a piece missing. Like we got to have all the pieces in place for us to be able to get the whole picture of what he's teaching us. So if you miss any, I encourage you to go back. You can find them on the website, YouTube, all the places. Today, we're going to pick up where we left off. We're going to be in chapter 7, starting in verse 1. And as we've done throughout this series, we're going to read the text out loud. And so I would invite you, if you're able, would you just stand where, you're, where you are, grab your Bibles. We're going to be in chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. This is the word of the Lord. Do you not know, brothers and sisters? For I am speaking to those who know the law that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, 
she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Father God, we are grateful for your word. Thankful that you have preserved it for us. And I pray now as we open it together that you would open our minds and our hearts to receive what you have for us. May we receive from your spirit truth that changes and transforms us today. In Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So again, one of the things I constantly remind you is that the Apostle Paul does not put those chapter breaks in your Bible. Your nice Bible publisher does that for you. And so when we go from chapter 6 to chapter 7, it is not as if Paul is starting a new conversation. This is a continuation of the conversation that he began in chapter 6. In fact, it is so emphatic that I get a little frustrated with my Bible publisher. If you have an NIV like me, this is what your says. Do you not know? Now, there are others of you who have different Bible translations, like maybe like the ESV, and you'll notice there's a, there's a word that the NIV leaves out, and it's the word or. It, some of your Bibles read, or do you not know? In other words, what he's saying is kind of contrasting with what he just said in verse 6. He's Connecting the dots. Now, there's no theological significance to putting this in or leaving it out. It makes it a little less wordy if you're just picking up and reading chapter 7. But again, what it does is sometimes it causes us to to distance what he has said in chapter 6 from what he said in chapter 7. And they're not meant to be distant. So Paul says, or do you not know? As I said a few weeks ago, whenever you see this phrase, Do you not know? It's really Paul saying, you should know. Like, you should know. Like, you should understand what I am saying to you right now. And what is he expecting that they should know? Well, he expects them to know everything that he has just told them in verse chapter 6. That we died with Jesus. When we died with Jesus, we died to sin. And thus we are no longer under sin's command and control anymore. That there was a time when we were all born into Adam, born into the flesh, and we were born into sin, and we were bound to sin. But by faith, we were taken out of Adam. And when we were, as chapter 6 teaches us, when we were baptized into Christ, we were placed in Christ, we participated in His death, His burial, His resurrection, we died with Christ. And thus, we died to sin. So that's what he expects that they would know, which means we are no longer a slave to sin. Sin is not our master anymore. It does not have to, we don't, we no longer have to obey it. We don't have to do what it tells us to do. We have a new master, and his name is 
Jesus. When we died, we did not no longer become slaves. We just became slaves to a new master. We became slaves of righteousness. We can now obey Jesus. That's the good news. And that's the summary of chapter 6. But it is as if Paul has shared this stuff before, and he knows there are going to be some people who don't quite understand, who need a little more explanation. There are going to be some people who are scratching their heads, not quite sure what he's talking about. And so he says, Do you not know, brothers and sisters? For I'm speaking to those who know the law. In other words, I'm talking to the church. You all in the church, you know this. Like, this isn't news. Half of these people in this church grew up with the Jewish law. The other half have learned the law of Christ. They're all Christians in the room. He says, I'm not talking to people out on the street who don't know anything about God's law. You're in the church. You understand this. I'm not... For I'm speaking to those who know the law. That law has authority over... I'm sorry. That the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. Here's the good news. Once you're dead, you don't have to obey the law anymore. Isn't that good? Like, that's what he said. The law has authority. The law only has authority as long as you're alive. So once you're dead, you ain't got to worry about it. Like, you, you can't compel a corpse to obey. <laughs> Have you ever tried? Like, you can't get dead people to do what you want them to do. That's what he's saying. Like, the law, you're only bound to it as long as you are Alive. Everybody knows this. Okay. Paul expects them to understand once you're dead, you are no longer bound to obey the thing that you were bound to. They should know this. But just in case they're confused, Paul gives an example that they would all understand. There was a day we were all bound to sin, but then we died with Jesus. And once we were dead in Jesus, we were free from what bound us, namely sin. And so, to help paint this picture of us dying to sin because we died with Jesus, Paul gives us an illustration. He gives us an example. And the example that he uses is the law concerning marriage. And here's what he says. For example, by law... A married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, let's break this down a little bit. Paul reminds the church of how marriage works. Again, he's not teaching anything new here. This is something they already all knew, which is why he uses it as an example. Like the whole reason you do an illustration or you use something as an example is you take something that everybody knows 
and you use it to help them understand something that they may not know. So he says, I'm going to talk about marriage. I'm going to remind you of marriage law, which everybody knows, to help you understand this thing with sin and death, because this is something you may not know. Okay? So, this is nothing new that he's talking about here. He, as he was saying this, everybody in the church would have nodded along. Yes, this is how marriage works. We understand this. Now, here's what I know. Many of you likely aren't going to be nodding along with Paul here. And what, what Paul is, is proclaiming here isn't going to sound normal or natural. It's going to sound very strange and crazy for you. In fact, what Paul is saying about how marriage works is going to even sound offensive to some of you. But, but I need you to hang with me here today because, because if we're going to understand what Paul has to say about what it means to die to sin, then we have to understand his illustration. We have to understand marriage in the way that Paul describes marriage. We have to understand marriage as his original audience would have understood it. Because if we misunderstand how marriage works, there's a chance we are going to misunderstand the broader point that Paul is trying to make about dying as slaves to sin. So we have to understand these two in the way that Paul was teaching it. And so, let's walk through this together. He says, for example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So, again, Paul begins by stating a very simple reality that everyone in the church would have understood. When a man and a woman get married, they are bound together. And how long are they bound for? As long as they are both alive. They are bound together as long as they are both alive. When one of them dies, the thing that bound them is now broken. We've talked about this before. Many of you have heard. If you've been around here for very long, you've been offended by me saying this out loud before. That through marriage, God takes two and He makes them one. It is a sacrament. There's something that happens in the spirit realm that God takes two and makes them one. And we do not have the power to unone what God makes one. That's what Scripture teaches us. When we stood on our wedding day and we said, till death do us part, that was not a promise we were making as much as it was a reality that we were stating. Till death do us part. We are bound as long as we are alive. But when the husband dies, she is released. She is no longer bound when he when he dies she becomes free she's free she is released she is no longer bound 
death has the power to release her. Death and only death has the power to release her. Now, I hope it goes without saying that this applies both to men and women. Paul, in this example, is talking about a woman becoming a widow, but it applies both to men and women. It goes both ways. Men, you don't get an out because he's only talking about a woman here. Applies to both. He continues. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. Again, it's so important for us to note, has sexual relations while he is still alive. Note that it doesn't say while they are still married. It's not what it says. It says while he is still alive, then she is called an adulteress because they are bound. As long as they both are alive, whether whether they're living in the same house or not, whether they have a certificate on file at the courthouse or not, whether they even share the same last name or not, that's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. But if her husband dies, if he dies, then she's released. She's released and no longer called an adulteress if she gets remarried. Again, Paul isn't teaching anything new here. In the church, everybody would have been nodding along. Yes, this is how marriage works. We understand that. Yes, everyone in this church, they understood this. This is what the church, the early church, had always taught about marriage because this is what Jesus taught about marriage. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says almost exactly the same thing as he says in Romans. The verbiage is almost identical. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, then she is free or released. She's free to marry anyone she wishes. But he must belong to the Lord. There's a caveat. You can't go marrying a pagan. You've got to have somebody in the faith. So there's the caveat. This isn't new. Everybody knew this. This is what the early church taught from the beginning. Again, because this is what Jesus taught. Jesus in Luke 16 said it this way. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery. And the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, Paul's not teaching anything new. He's using this as an example. Everybody in the church understood this is how marriage works. And because you understand this is how marriage works, I can use this as an an example to teach you about what it means to die to sin. Now, here's what I know. Most people in the church today, especially in America, we don't know that this is how marriage works. Because most of us were taught that a man and woman were bound as long as they were married, not as long as they were alive. Most of us were taught, we've been told that we were bound as long as we feel like being bound. But if we don't feel like being bound anymore, then we can just go to court and we won't be bound anymore. We say that we're only bound as long as the judge says we're bound or as long as their certificate is valid. Again, that's not what Scripture teaches. And here's why this is so important for us to understand. 
Because if we bring our understanding of marriage and we put it on this text, if we bring our understanding of how marriage works into this example, then the whole truth of what Paul is teaching about no longer being slaves to sin, if we bring our marriage into this text, then we're going to miss out on what Paul's trying to teach us. What Paul is teaching us about being dead to sin, it only makes sense when we have a biblical understanding of how marriage works. That you are bound to your spouse as long as they are alive. But once you have died, or once they have died, the thing that bound you two together is broken, and now you are free. You are free to go bind yourself to someone else. That's the important part. Let's go to verse 4. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you may belong to another. Namely, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. This is the whole matter. That until that death occurs, you are not free to go be bound to someone else. But now, now, but now that that you died so that you might be belong to another. When you were bound to sin in Adam, you could not be bound to Jesus because you were already bound. But once you died, once you were placed in Jesus through your faith, You were baptized into Jesus. You were baptized into his death. So that the death he died, you die. And now that you have died, that to which you were bound no longer binds you. So now you are free to be bound to someone new. Again, he's connecting the dots to chapter 6. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of God the Father, we too might have new life. Your baptism wasn't just a symbol of something. It was you participating in something, in the death of Jesus, in the burial of Jesus, and into the resurrection of Jesus. And once you died, you were released from that which bound you. And now you are free to belong to someone new. You are free to be bound to someone else. Through your baptism, you died. And that bond you had with sin is broken. And you aren't a slave to sin anymore. You're like the widow. You became a widow when you died in Christ. You are free from sin. You are released from what bound you. And because you've been released, you are free now to belong to another. Paul's point is, you can't belong to another 
until that first union is broken by death. And the good news is you have died because you are now in Christ. When you were baptized, you died. And now you're free. You're free to be bound to Jesus. But it wasn't always that way. So my brothers and sisters, oh, let me go one more, I'm sorry. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore the fruit of death. There was a day when we were in the realm of death. We were bound by sin. And we did not have the capacity to be bound to someone new. In Adam, we were all born in the flesh, and the only option we had was the option of living a sinful life outside of being bound to Jesus. We did not have the power, most of us, not even the desire to obey God. And just because we knew the law, the law comes in, right and wrong comes in, Knowing the law, knowing right and wrong, did not empower us to actually do what was right and reject what was wrong. In fact, knowing the law actually aroused our sinful passions. It just made it worse. Like, it's like when you know the rule and mom says, don't do that, what's that thing in you that swells up that says, of course I'm going to do that. I wasn't thinking about it until you said no, but now I will. That's what the law does. We, we know what's right, but it doesn't actually empower us to do what's right. It actually makes us go the other way. Like, like from the beginning, you were a little kid. You knew that lying was wrong. You knew it. But it didn't stop you. You fudged the truth anyway. We knew that gossip was wrong, but we, we consume it and we spread it anyway. We knew that disobeying our parents was wrong. You knew that. Nobody had to tell you that. You know disobeying your parents is wrong. But it didn't stop you. We knew that lust was wrong, but we still would sneak a peek at dad's playboys or the scrambled channels on the old cable system or the sex scene in the movie. Like We knew that cussing was wrong, but we wanted to be cool around our friends. We knew that cheating was wrong, but we still took the shortcuts. We knew that being generous was good and right, but that didn't help us create a habit. We knew that worshiping in the presence of the Lord with His people was good and right, but we didn't make it a priority. Like we knew that sexual activity outside of marriage was wrong, but it didn't keep us from going too far, far too many times. We knew that getting drunk was wrong, but there are still way too many nights that we don't remember. Knowing the law, knowing what was good and right, it didn't empower us to do what was good and right. Because we were bound to sin. And those things, all of those choices of us choosing to live bound to sin, those things bore the fruit of death in us. They didn't produce life. It didn't make life better. It didn't help me love God and love people. No, no, no. All of those things actually killed relationships. Those things killed our self-esteem. Those things, in very real way, 
killed many of us physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally. They killed our reputations. They killed our joy. They killed the future relationship with our spouse and with our kids. They murdered our integrity. They put future intimacy to death. They killed our peace. They executed our faith in God. They exterminated our hope. They assassinated our prayer life. All of those things bore the fruit of death in us. But the good news is, that's not where the story is. But now, but now, but now that we have died to sin, now that we have been placed in Jesus, but now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released. By dying, we have been released from the law so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. But now we have died. Because we are in Jesus and Jesus died. And when he died, we died. And when we died, we were released. We were set free from the thing that bound us. So that now we are free to be bound to someone new. We are bound now to the Spirit. We now have the opportunity to serve a new master. We didn't have that opportunity before, but now we do. Because we die to that which once bound us. We can serve a new master in the way of the Spirit. We are now free to obey Jesus. That's the good news that Paul's trying to help these people and us to understand that when you died with Jesus, you died to sin and sin died to you. In that moment, you became like the widow who's now free to be bound to someone new. Someone who brings life and joy and peace and fulfillment and purpose. Someone who empowers you to love people and honor God and give generously and reconcile relationships and be content and forgive those who hurt you and confess the whole truth because you will be loved anyway. We can now walk in the new way of the Spirit and bear fruit that brings life. But before any of that happens, we have to die to sin. We can't just divorce it. We have to die to sin. We can't just divorce it. We can't just try to separate ourselves from it. You have to die to it. Because because divorce doesn't set you free. And all of you who have been divorced, you know what I'm saying is true. Divorce does not set you free. You are still bound. There's still relational baggage you drag with you. And it makes all the holidays Awkward, because now the kids are going over there for this weekend, and we don't get to see them this year because they're going to mom's house this time. And and it doesn't set you free. Divorce does not set us free. There's now alimony, and we've got child support, and then we got to work out the thing for the thing that the kids are going to... It does. You're not free. 
What sets you free is death. And that's the point. Many of us have tried just to divorce sin. We just try to divorce it. We're just going to separate ourselves from it. And then all that we were bound to still walks with us. It still entangles us. It affects the next relationship and the next relationship. And we have a master that we're trying to serve while we're bound to another master. Because divorce doesn't set us free. We have to die to sin. And sin has to die to us. Because only, only when it is dead to us and we are dead to it, are we free to be bound to our new master. So the application is really simple. It's been the same for about a month because we're all talking about the same thing. Paul's not gone anywhere new yet. What he's, what he's inviting us to is to stop being bound to sin. Come out. That there's a way to, to be free from it. You can die to it. And come alive to Jesus. Replacing your faith in Him. Repentance and confession and being baptized into His death. Into His burial and into His resurrection. So that we can live new lives. Not held back to what bound us before. So if you've yet to do that, then that's the invitation for you. I invite you to go here in Prescott Valley. Make sure you go connect with the prayer team or at Connection Central with one of our pastors here. Our prayer team will be back in the room on the left or you can come to Pastor's Point or Connection Central. But we want to help you take that step. Because if we're going to be free to serve Jesus, we have to die to the sin that bound us. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. And my prayer today is that we would walk out encouraged for those of us who have taken that step to come out of Adam and into Christ, that we can live as free people, that we don't have to be bound up into sin anymore. We have been released to obey our new master, Jesus. Father, if there's anyone here that hasn't taken that step, I pray that you would move in their hearts right now. And it's in Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. And thank you so much for joining us today here at the Quad City Podcast. Hey, our desire is that we would each look more and more like Jesus every day, week, month, and year. And we know that that doesn't just come from learning more about him and his word, but by actually applying it to our lives today. We hope that you take this message that you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that makes you honor him. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to download the Quad City app and we will see you again next time.